Good morning, Northbrook Church. Today's reading, we will uh, be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Again, we will be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, it's a joy to be with you as always. I'm Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here. And just thinking about Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday, I just thought I'd kind of reiterate a story that I've shared with many of you uh, in a sermon before, Um, but just my story that uh, by God's abundant grace, um, I was born to a single mom that was very poor, uh, two kids already. Um, and had she succumbed to the pressure of my biological father, uh, really all of her family at the time, uh, all the voices in her life, uh, then she would have went through the uh, abortion that my, uh, again, my biological father left her money for, family pressured her towards, uh, and yet she chose to uh, give me life. And so here I am, uh, by God's grace. Uh, and so I, I say that just as like it's, um, you know, we talk about abortion uh, and life and pro-life. We have all these words, but it's, it's real people, it's real places, it's real lives uh, that are impacted and affected by real decisions. Um, and there's real hardness. There's a lot of hardness my mom faced and a lot of hardness she faced because she decided to choose uh, life, a lot of opportunity uh, for the church to uh, fill in the gap in that hardness and uh, be, as Randy prayed, be a, a voice of grace and mercy to, to any, uh, no matter what decisions they've made uh, in their life, but also be a grace and mercy of resources and support and help. And that's why we partner with places like Pregnancy Help for You, because they have inroads and structures and ways to do that. uh, And so we can support the work that God is doing uh, through them. So uh, yeah, just wanted to share my personal testimony uh, in regards to how that's played a part, uh, a significant part uh, in my life. So uh, one other thing I want to kind of just put before you as before we get into First Peter, um, uh, I've spent a decent amount of time kind of considering and thinking. We've talked as elders over the next, you know, 2023. Um, and so I like to just kind of lay before you kind of the roadmap of where we're going uh, Sunday morning wise, preaching wise. Uh, so we're going to finish up First Peter in uh, about four weeks. We, we've got next week, we've got I'm just going to say kind of the titles of the sermon, and you'll see what they mean, but the cross and the sword. Next week, we'll talk about suffering and glory. The week after, after that, we'll talk about the church's elders and the church's members.
numbers and what Peter has to say about that. And then we'll finish off First Peter, how he finishes it off by talking about trusting God, resisting the devil, and finishing well. But then after that, I'm really excited about a series we're going to hop into that kind of corresponds with Lent, if you know anything about the church calendar. And we're going to go through a four-week series on lament. Uh, so lament is a word we use a good bit. We've, we've preached sermons on it before from the Psalms of uh, lament, but I still think it's something just as a biblical category and as a biblical practice uh, that we as a church can grow a lot in and that God has much for us in lamenting. We're going to kind of mirror this book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy that some of you are familiar with and, and talking about learning how to lament. And one of the things that I love about that book, because um, it, it helps us... Uh, in regards to lament in the, the significant areas of our life, the significant struggles and sufferings that we endure. But it also talks about how lament really should be somewhat ordinary in the life of the Christian. That it's not just in those big moments, but uh, we're, there's, in a sense, if we're connected to anybody, always reason to lament. Uh, not in a way that we can't be obviously living in joy and uh, having great seasons of life as well, uh, but there's an ordinariness to it uh, that, that we can learn from as well. So excited about that. And then we'll do uh, an, a two-week kind of Easter series on knowing and enjoying God out of Matthew 11. Uh, we're going to give away the book Gentle and Lowly on Easter Sunday to kind of correspond with that. Um, and then we're going to hop into 2 Timothy to finish off the spring. One of the focuses of the pastors this year is to really even consider what it means to pastor, what it means to pastor the church. And there's pastoring a church, but then there's also just a shepherding culture of a church uh, that we desire to have uh, church-wide. And so 2 Timothy, uh, Lord willing, will help us with that. Uh, spend the summer uh, going through some of Jesus' miracles out of Matthew 8 and 9. And then in the fall, uh, if you've been with us for a bit, we typically kind of have two you know, uh, series that we kind of emphasize a little bit more, one in the spring, one in the fall. First Peter, the one we're in, is one of those. And then in the fall, we're going to do something around foundations. Just if we were going to think about what would we hope members of Northbrook to know and grow in? Like kind of the baseline of what we would hope. What is that? And do a sermon series kind of through uh, those things in the fall. And so as I always like to say, that is all completely subject to change. Um, so I think that's likely what we're going to do or some close iteration of it. Uh, but I don't know if it helps you, but I like to kind of have an idea of where we're going. Um, and so I'm sure you all all remember that perfectly. And excitement is just boiling over at all that we're about to get into. So that's what's coming. So today, First Peter, um, as you heard, perhaps uh, we are going to be talking about baptism. And, and one of the hard jobs of the pastor is, is to make... Um, ordinary things uh, significant, uh, and really to convince people how, how incredible some of these ordinary things really are, and that's one of my jobs uh, today. Uh, many of you probably have really good memories of your baptism, of getting baptized. Some of you haven't been baptized, some of you have been baptized, uh, and many of you have really good memories of it. I think about Wyatt and Sophia. Uh, they got baptized at Trinity Park uh, years ago, and it was just a really sweet day, really enjoyable time. It was a really great uh, memory. Um, I don't remember a lot about my baptism. I do remember it a bit. I was 12, but I remember being excited and really joyful, and it was a really uh, fun experience and uh, a fun day. But if we're honest, baptism is pretty ordinary in our hearts and minds as we think about it. Like if I was going to equate it to something else, like even just kind of reminding us and help, like a, a preacher trying to convince people that God's love is like just this really big deal you know, to people that Christian or not have heard about God's love almost their whole entire life. 
and, and to recapture how the Bible speaks of it is really the job of the Christian, but in, in this moment, the job of the preacher. And so that's that same kind of goal uh, with baptism, this thing that, you know, again, we think about it, but it's kind of like many other good memories. It was a good moment. It was a good time. And we think fondly about it. Um, but Peter makes a much bigger deal out of it uh, than that. Um, he's trying to convince us that our baptism is, baptism is actually uh, a really big deal. Even the, the kind of subtitle of uh, this sermon series, um, Living Hope in the Midst of Fiery Trials, that really even thinking about our baptism actually should be a source of that hope. That even as we're struggling and suffering, like for the Christian to remember the moment and the meaning of baptism actually should be a source of spiritual hope. Uh, that's what Peter is going to point us to today. Um, and so if we step back and even look at the wider culture, uh, you know, baptism, there's many people have a baptism story. Many non-Christians have a baptism story. Uh, many people maybe were baptized as infants or kids or even as adults and have walked away from the faith. So you could run into many people that aren't following Jesus but have been baptized in Jesus' name at some point in their life. And so culturally, baptism is just kind of widespread and, and known about. As many Christian things, uh, baptism can also be mocked. Um, maybe some of you have already thought about Nacho Libre. Is anybody already? It's come. I had to acknowledge it, or you're just going to be thinking about it and chuckling to yourself. Uh, if you don't know Nacho Libre, it's uh, where Jack Black gives an Oscar-level performance of uh, going from a monk to a wrestler. And a significant part of the film, he's trying to baptize his uh, wrestling counterpart. Um, and, you know, hilarity ensues. Um, and so, you know, there's baptism is just a thing that a lot of people know about. But Peter is going to help us retrieve all that baptism should mean. Not what it means in popular culture, maybe not what it even means from our fond memories of it, but biblically what it should mean. So here's the main idea uh, for today. Is that the cross, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus infuse our baptism with significant ongoing meaning. I'm going to read that again. The cross, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus infuse our baptism with significant and ongoing meaning. Simply because Jesus is a big deal, our baptism is a big deal. And we'll kind of break this up around those three things because it's really the focus of this passage. Obviously, if you heard it read just a minute ago, it's, there's some confusing aspects of this passage that we'll get to. But the, the meat of this passage are around those statements, put to death, made alive, and gone into heaven, uh, referencing that Jesus was put to death, that he was made alive, and that he ascended into heaven. In the Greek, actually, Peter writes these in kind of a spoken word kind of way where the the Greek rhymes, those three Greek words rhyme. Um, they don't quite roll off the tongue today, but imagine in his day it really was a sick beat. Um, yes, I did. I'm just going to let that dad joke just kind of settle in there and we'll move along. Let's start. Let's look at that kind of a statement in verse 21 that may or may not be confusing to you, where it just says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, which is the whole wider context of the statement, now saves you. 
And I'm just going to say this, like some of you uh, haven't thought deeply about this at all. Some of you have thought really deeply about this. I'm just going to keep this incredibly simple today. And if you have more questions about this and different views of baptism, I'm actually happy to discuss those with you. And I would encourage you, baptism is a worthy subject to consider and study and think about what you believe about it and why you uh, believe what you believe uh, about it. I think even Ginger and I throughout the years have had different views on baptism. She was raised in a uh, Baptist church for the most part, but then she went to TCU and uh, involved in the uh, college ministry and so was a member at uh, Fort Worth Presbyterian, which obviously uh, believes in infant baptism. And uh, I've been a Baptist. And so there was anytime she was near water and our babies, I had to like keep an eye on her, make sure she wasn't sprinkling them. Um, and, uh, and so there's just different views on baptism. And it's, it's a good thing to uh, consider and to think about. Um, and personally, as you imagine, I've studied baptism a good bit. Uh, but I've always done it from a Baptist perspective. Uh, and now, fairly, I've studied the scriptures a good bit and, and, and come to believe different theological views at times. But this one in particular, I've always just walked away more convinced uh, about what the scriptures have to say, have to say in uh, the Baptist view of baptism. So to state it plainly, Baptists view baptism as someone that becomes a Christian and then soon after they get baptized. Whether a river or a horse trough like we do, they get fully immersed in water to signify their union with Jesus and his death, and they come out of the water signifying their union with Christ and his resurrection and ascension. Um, and so that's what we, we believe as baptism. And baptism, the significance of it really can't be overstated unless you equate it to salvation or view it as necessary for salvation. And it's a good question to ask, is that what Peter is doing here? And if you were to ask that question, Catholics, Lutherans, and the Church of Christ would say, yes, that is exactly what Peter is doing here. He is equating baptism uh, with salvation. And in their view, they would emphasize baptism saves you, that part of the verse. While Baptists, Presbyterians, Reformed churches, although we have some differing views on baptisms in this verse in particular, uh, we would emphasize baptism corresponds as an appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. There's a lot more to say, uh, but y'all would be halfway through a nap if I kept going. Uh, and so I really would be happy to uh, answer more about that if you have any questions. Um, so what our baptism corresponds to, uh, or even another way to think about that word corresponds, is an image of. What our baptism is an image of um, is the most important news in the world. There is nothing more important than what our baptism is a picture of. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. One, I'll say one more qualifying thing. about If baptism saves you in the ultimate sense, Peter's contradicting himself here because he makes it clear that this is our only hope for salvation. So your only hope, my only hope of being brought to God is that Christ was perfect and he paid for your imperfection. Our, our only hope is that Christ was sinless and he paid for every one of our sins. Christ's death wasn't just this physical historical moment, but also the moment that God's wrath towards all sin was poured out. And honestly, this is why our culture and people want nothing to do with Christianity, 
I, I think the most disbelieved aspect of God right now is that God is perfectly angry and wrathful towards sin. It's the, the hardest thing for many people in a, a Western culture. Like, why, why, is that, why is God angry at me? I'm doing the best I can. I've got a, I've got a good heart. Um, and, and that uh, really is, is the weight of what refutes this idea that God is angry uh, towards sin. The, the reality, though, is even as our culture disbelieves God's wrath, it becomes more wrathful. Um, if you think about just the anger and violence, the threatening of violence, even just for different political views. And here's the irony of that. Because we are made in the image of God, we have this innate sense of justice. And when you don't believe in a God that has a perfect view of justice, then you put yourself in the place of God and your view becomes ultimate justice. And you find other people that agree with that and you hate everybody else. Um, that's obviously the extreme version, but it's not hard for any of us to picture, one, how we buy into that at times. Uh, that tempts us, uh, but how that, that is uh, very clear in different pockets uh, of our culture on all sides of any issue. Um, and the thing is, when people don't adhere to your justice, they will often receive your wrath. Uh, again, if you are in the place of God, then you are in the place of handing out wrath uh, when it's appropriate and withholding it when it's not. But the message of the Bible is that there is an ultimate line of justice, and that line uh, exists within God, the God that created the universe and everything in it. It isn't in the laws of a country. It isn't in culture or popular opinion. Those things have changed, and those things will continue to change. But God's line has never changed. It's never changed. And there is only one person that's lived out God's justice Perfectly, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ is in one category, the rest of humanity is in the other category. Christ is righteous, everyone else is unrighteous. And if anyone is going to come to God, it starts with this simple confession I am unrighteous, I have sinned. There, there's no pathway to God outside of acknowledging that truth. Uh, God doesn't deal in the degrees we like to try to. You know, I haven't been perfect, but no one is perfect. I wouldn't really say I'm evil. And what we do when we start to say statements like that is we start to craft a God in our image. We started to think, hey, I believe these things. These things must be true about God because they come from me. Um, and we've started to craft a God in our image. And if anyone, me or you, start to create a God in our image, obviously that is, that is no God at all. The Bible says, as Randy was saying earlier, we are created in God's image. We can't create God uh, in our image. That's idolatry. Um, and so back to baptism. Our baptism is a reminder that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we were dead in our sins and going down into the water is a picture of our union with Christ in his death. And we can get caught up in the confusion of this verse, but here's the picture, one of the main pictures Peter is trying to help us see. Just as Noah and his family were brought safely through the waters of the flood because they were hidden in the ark. Christians are brought safely through, the gods, through God's wrath because we are hidden in Christ. That's the, that's the picture of baptism that Peter is trying to uh, put before us. And so I think even as you think about a practical way to consider this, when you feel beaten down by the struggles with sin, you, you get to remember your baptism. 
When you have these ongoing struggles that just seem to be getting the best of you, you get to remember your baptism and how you were united to Christ in his death. But Christ didn't just die for our sins. He was also, if you see the end of verse 18, made alive in the spirit. And if you look at verses 19 and 20, let's look at those real quick, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah. Clint, this is the one you were going to come explain, right? Yeah, good. Um, so obviously this is, I was stumbled on, I've read a lot about this. I stumbled on a uh, Martin Luther quote. It was basically something along the lines of, I've studied the Bible for a long time, and I still have no idea what the apostle means here. Uh, and uh, the, the interpretation of this verse has even changed throughout the years. Uh, some of you probably on the surface hear, hear this verse and think of kind of a, it was kind of a, a newer, by newer, I mean like 800s, kind of theology that started to rise about Jesus descending into hell. It's in the Apostles' Creed, uh, or some versions of the Apostles' Creed, at least. I really don't think that's actually what is is going on here. Again, I'll keep it uh, simple and move along, and if you have more questions, you can refer to the Luther quote uh, and go from there. But this is what I believe this is actually saying. After the resurrection, so not between the cross and the resurrection, but after the resurrection, Jesus proclaimed, preached, uh, probably the gospel to the fallen angels that we hear about actually in Genesis 6. Genesis 6, 4 says this. We're not going to get much into this, but just uh, the Nephilim were on earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And so a lot of things going on in the beginning of Genesis 6, that's actually right before the flood. So part of what brings God's wrath on uh, humanity. And so uh, by proclaiming the gospel to, and these are, that's referring to just fallen angels. Um, and uh, by proclaiming the gospel to them, Jesus is proclaiming his victory over Satan and his demons. So that's what's going on there. Um, there's no way to refute anything I just said. I'm just joking. There's, there's lots of different views, but I really, as simply as I could put it, I, I believe that's what's going on uh, there. I would say just another note, when you read the scriptures, when you, when you come upon verses like this, what you should be thankful for is that 99% of the verses in the Bible are not like this. Um, and so this really is one of the more, more confusing verses in the Bible. So we always think about the Bible and we always interpret the Bible with what is clear. We don't base our theology on some more obscure, ambiguous text. Well, the Bible's really clear about almost everything. So we take, go from there to uh, think about texts like this. That's just a reading your Bible 101 kind of thing. So consider that. And um, so as, as I think about Christians and how, so Jesus has victory over Satan and demons. And as Christians, we do two things. We give Satan and demons too much credit, or we swing the pendulum in the other direction and realize Uh, and don't realize that there are actually real evil spiritual beings active in this world. Um, And the the reality is Jesus has victory over them, and they are actually active and present uh, in this world right now. What Peter and the rest of the Bible communicates is that they are real, and again, Jesus has secured victory over them, and we are a part of that victory when we're hidden with him. That his victory, any benefit that Jesus has, any victory he has, when we put our faith in him, is ours. He is ours and we are his. So we get to enjoy his victory as well. So when we are raised out of the water in our baptism, it is a picture of Christ's victory and our victory over every dark spiritual force in the world, including Satan 
himself. And so again, when you're under spiritual attack, and again, those can be ambiguous. We can, we can again, overdo that or underdo that. Everything that bad happened in our life is a spiritual attack or nothing's a spiritual attack. But the reality is spiritual attacks happen in the lives of people. Uh, and when, as much as we can discern when that is going on in our life, we can remember our baptism. We can remember that we're hidden, that, that Christ's victory is our victory. Um, and we get to lay hold of that. And then Christ's resurrection, Christ resurrection gives us even uh, more power than that. It gives us power over demonic forces, but it means even more. Look at verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are, we're saved through the resurrection. Not as a removal of dirt, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. I think one of the things we, how we can think about this and what this verse is trying to communicate is we're living from the resurrection. Like we get to the resurrection's happened, we're in it, we're hidden in it, we get the benefits of it. But we're also in this moment in our life living towards the resurrection. We're living to the resurrection. We're living out of it, but we're also trying to live in light of it with our lives. And that's what uh, Peter is uh, getting at here. Um, and our baptism is an image of this kind of union with Christ, as well as a pledge to live in light of that union. Like our baptism is an image of something, but it's also a pledge to something. It's like, hey, I'm going to try to live out this thing that I'm imaging right here in, my, in Jesus' death and, and burial and resurrection. I want to live my life uh, in response to that. And verse 21 kind of depicts this ongoing nature of the Christian life. That phrase, not a removal of dirt uh, from the body. Peter isn't just saying... Uh, baptism is more than being washed in water. He, he hardly needs to say that. And it's a little confusing. The word dirt is only used one time in the New Testament, uh, but often when it's used outside of the New Testament, it's not just talking about actual dirt, but talking about this moral kind of filth or moral decay or a moral dirtiness. And the idea that Peter is saying like, hey, it's not like we get baptized and then we're done and then we're good. It's like a part of the Christian life is living from the resurrection and then continuing to live to the resurrection. There's so many people, a generation of people, so many people that have viewed baptism as, hey, if I get baptized, I got this ticket to heaven, and then nothing matters. Then I'm just good. It doesn't really matter what I do because I've been baptized. And this part of the passage depicts the, the ongoing nature of us continuing to be faithful to what we said when we got baptized, what we were proclaiming uh, when we were baptized. Um, it's just this uh, picture. Again, dirt commonly refers to moral uncleanliness, and he's using that kind of picture. He's saying that even after our baptism, we will struggle with sin. Amen? Yeah, we do. Uh, and yet there's still, there's still hope. Uh, and this baptism, it, again, it's this appeal to strive to live right before God. And we don't even do this in our own strength, but through the power of the resurrection. Every godly act in our lives has in it the power of the resurrection. It's nothing we could have done on our own strength. It's nothing we could have made happen. It is literally the power of the resurrection working in and through us. None of us in our own nature are godly people, but God makes us godly people. 
And again, we talk about this a lot here, but what we can do is we can overemphasize the hope that we have in the gospel and minimize the fact that God has called us to live in light of the gospel. Or we overemphasize that God's called us to live in light of the gospel and underemphasize the power of the gospel that we have of grace and mercy and forgiveness when we sin. Um, and we should just, both of those are true. Uh, they're, they're beautiful truths that we get to live in light of, that there is no sin in which there is not uh, an eternal amount of forgiveness for. And, and that truth, if it leads you to sin more, you don't understand what I just said. Um, and, and that's what uh, we see, and that's what we image in our baptism. Um, so what area of your life, as you think about it, do you need to rely more on the power of the resurrection working in and through you? Remember your baptism and seek God's help as you seek to live rightly with him. So we looked at the cross and baptism, the resurrection and baptism. Now let's end with verse 22, the ascension and baptism. Who has gone into heaven, speaking of Jesus, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. And so maybe you've never distinguished between the resurrection and the ascension, but there are two glorious uh, realities that provide an eternal amount of hope for the Christian. The, the ascension surely is less talked about, uh, but it describes the moment um, many days after the resurrection when Christ ascended into heaven. Look in Acts 1 with me. I think it'll be on the screen for you. This is the ascension, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, I mean, sorry, as they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so if the resurrection gives us power, the ascension, uh, when dwelt upon by God's grace, it really makes us a fearless people. When you're with the one with ultimate power, who is there to fear? I mean, I, I would struggle to like come up with a metaphor or analogy here because there's just so many. Like if you're going to go and step into a boxing ring, know you're going to win, you're going to fight better. If you're going to go into a war knowing you have the most powerful person in the world on your side, you're going to be pretty fearless. Um, when, when you are with the most powerful person in the universe, the most powerful being, what is there to fear? It's so logical, yet we fear so much. <laughs> we fear so much, so often. Uh, it's why the Bible, I mean, one of the most common commands in the scriptures is do not fear. God knows what it's like to be us. He knows we're scared. He knows we're afraid, but he also knows who he is. So that's why he continues to remind us, hey, you don't need to fear. Or yeah, I love, uh, I think it's Isaiah 1, where why do you fear man in whose nostrils is breath? Just that idea of like, I am with you. I am for you. You have me. 
You need not fear anything. Um, this, is, this is what comes from the ascension. This is what we get. Um, and the reason we have so much fear in our lives is because we forget. We forget the ascension, that Jesus has all authority. And I think this is why the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we see the ascension is associated so closely with, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to go back to verse 22, as you go there, you see that he's, he has authority over all angels and authorities and powers. Because you know what? Those are the very things that will come against you and me as we go to be his witnesses. What a, what a reminder that we need not fear those things. Even if they take our very life, he has authority over even that. Um, because he raised from the dead, he has all power over life and death. So are you struggling to, even if you think about just, again, being his witness, are you struggling to be his witness? Are you struggling to share your faith? Are you struggling to even think about what that means? Remember his ascension. Remember that he has all power and all authority. And so you need not fear. Remember your baptism. And that you are united to Jesus in his ascension. As sure as he has gone into heaven, you are sure to follow. And because of this, we can live without fear. I'm going to close with just these two questions. Obviously, the kind of the application of thinking about our baptism is pretty straightforward. Have you been baptized? Do you need to get baptized? Uh, have you recently become a Christian? Are you not a Christian? Do you need to consider what it means to actually need, what does baptize even mean to you? Have you put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? If, you, if that's you, then you get to get baptized. You need to be baptized. Have you been baptized? Um, maybe you were baptized, but now you've been convinced you weren't really baptized uh, because you were baptized before you placed your faith in Christ. And you think, man, I have, I want to image what baptism is supposed to image. And so I actually uh, need to get baptized uh, in this way. And so maybe that's you. I would encourage you, just come to me, uh, ask me, tell me, come to uh, any member here at Northbrook. And they're like, man, I think I need to get baptized. I've become a Christian uh, recently. I've put my faith in Christ or I've never been baptized. And then you need to get baptized. And then for all of us, uh, do you need to remember your baptism? I would encourage you to consider, as we, as we hear Peter's words, to remember the ba our baptism should be to remember the hope that we have in Jesus. To, to think back on that moment. For me, when I was 12 at this fundamental Baptist church that I would disagree with about so many things right now. Uh, but God saved me, and I got baptized. And, and in that moment, I was imaging the, the union I have with Christ for the rest of my life. And so to remember that moment for you and to remember the meaning that fills that moment in. That in that moment, you, you are showing the picture of what has happened to you spiritually. That you've been united to Jesus in his cross and his death. That you've been united to him in his resurrection. And that you're united to him in his ascension. And there is an eternal amount of meeting in those realities. So I would encourage us all to remember our baptism. Let me pray for us in that way.
Lord Jesus, I, I just think of even the moment of your baptism, how you lead us in everything and you led us even in that. Thank you that you, you've given us this picture to, to seal in our hearts and our minds that you're, uh, that you're a God that, that cares about the physical, cares about the tangible, cares about the spiritual. You're not just um, about theology and books. You're not just about, even just about the spiritual, but you're also about that you created it all. So it all has meaning to you. And so you give us things like baptism uh, to physically do, uh, to remember all that you have done for us in this life. And so would you help us remember uh, that in our baptism, we were buried. Um, well, just as Paul says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And so, Spirit, you know the, the many different ways that we need that truth in our life, that we need to live out that truth in our life, the comfort that that needs to, to bring to us how forgetful we are, how fearful we are. And so, Spirit, would you communicate that uh, fresh on our hearts and minds in the ways that each of us need to hear it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.